It is truly a uh, special day to be with you today as we celebrate really all week uh, our 40th anniversary, 40th birthday. Last Sunday night, we had an incredible time of worshiping together. I, if you missed it, I, I feel bad for you. It was incredible. Uh, Wednesday night, had a fun time outside, and then today caps off what's been a powerful week. And God has used so many of you to demonstrate his faithfulness, and whether you're a charter member here or maybe you're someone who's come in the last year or so, it's been awesome. And one of the people that God has certainly used as such a critical part of what he's done here is our founding pastor, Bryant Wright. I'm so grateful that Bryant could be with us today. So y'all give it up for Bryant Wright. <laughs> so thankful to be here with you. And I'm so thankful to Clay for including me on this time. As I was watching that video, it was uh, a lot of emotion, as you can imagine. And I, I thought back, we really worshiped in five different places. First of all, in that doctor's office in our early days, and then we moved across the street to a business office, and then we moved in the chapel in 1984, and then in January of 1989 in the sanctuary, and you may not realize this, but the first contemporary worship in this facility took place in 2004, about 19 years ago, and it was just half of this space, one gym and not two. And who knows what the sixth worship location will be in the days ahead as God will lead in the life of Johnson Ferry. But through all of that, what is most of all exciting is that the worship and the ministry has been centered on Jesus Christ. And to see many of you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and so many of you growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, what a joy that is. There can be no greater joy for a pastor than to experience that. And to know that this congregation really bought in to Jesus' great commission of taking the gospel to every people group on the face of the earth. My heart overflows with thanksgiving that the Lord allowed me to be a part of this during a certain time in the beginning days of this ministry that is now passed on in leadership to Clay now. And, you know, on our final day, December of 2019, Clay and I have been sharing the leadership, sharing the preaching for four months together. And I had the privilege to give him one of my preaching Bibles that I've been preaching in the last seven or eight years before that. And it was always my hope that my successor would be a Jesus man who preached and taught the Word of God and how wonderful it is that God led Clay to be our second pastor. And I hope you'll show your appreciation to Clay now for how God is using him in such a wonderful way. Thankful for you, man. Thank you. We're not here that often. I, I kidded Clay earlier. It's a great day to be here when you're voting on the budget because the only contribution that Ann and I make to Johnson Ferry now is our tithe still comes here. So we're glad to take part in that way because I'm out preaching in other churches most Sundays around the country as president of Sin Relief in this new chapter of ministry. But I'm so thankful to be here today and to read the scripture of what God has put on Clay's heart in preaching the word. So if you'll turn in your Bibles, ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, Matthew is an easy book to find, the first book of the New Covenant. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13, and we'll read through verse 16. 
And if you're physically able to honor God, would you stand now for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 5, verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives out light to all in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Father, as we stand before you today with hearts filled with gratitude at how you have blessed, at how you have been glorified through the ministry of Johnson Fearing, Lord, you have been way too good to us, but oh, how thankful we are for your grace and blessings on this fellowship. And Lord, as we reflect with thanksgiving, we are thankful that Christ continues to be lifted up and that your word is preached and taught uncompromisingly, not only by Clay and the teaching pastors, but by hundreds and hundreds of volunteers and staff who seek to uphold your truth in your word concerning Jesus. And so now, Father, as you have led Clay to help us better understand your words, Jesus, may we receive your word and believe your word. And most of all, may we show that we believe it by putting your word into practice. Lord, may you bless this time, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Get me seated. It is a time to reflect on the life of our church. Many of you have been here for years, decades. Some of you were charter members back when this church began to gather in 1981. And it's fascinating to think that that many years ago, there were 20 or so families who gathered together in a doctor's office to start a new work. And then to think about 2023, when just in the last month or two, we've had 20 new families who have come to join this church. Some of you have been here for a year. Some of you, this is your very first time. And as we're reflecting on the life of this church, it's, it's good to just pause and think about why we're here and maybe even think about what would happen if we weren't here. There's a question I'd like to start out with today. Let's think about that question. If Johnson Ferry disappeared, would our community notice? Well, I'm assuming they would notice if they drove by and the building wasn't here, but, but a church is not merely the collection of bricks, sheetrock, electrical, wiring. No, a church is a people. If you're a part of the body of Christ, you are the church. And Jesus Christ has sent you here to be his representatives. You have a unique purpose and mission from Jesus. And we need to think about that on a day like today, not just as individuals, but even as a church. Today in Matthew 5, as you just heard Bryant 
read, we're looking at one of the more familiar parables of Jesus. Sometimes Jesus' parables are like a story with a plot, a character and a situation. But sometimes his parables are merely analogies. And that's what happens today as he uses these images of salt and light to describe who we are as the people of God. So let's look at this text today and begin to think and pray about what this means for us as individuals and what this means for us as a church. In verse 13, he starts right off the, right here at the beginning and says this, you are the salt of the earth. And that's true of everyone who's a follower of Jesus today. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. Of the earth. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus, maybe we should just say that to remind ourselves what Jesus has said about us. So instead of saying that you are, we'll change it with I am. But let's say I am the salt of the earth. All right, ready? One, two, three. I am the salt of the earth. Yes, yeah, salt. Jesus was a master communicator. He knew how to take images and analogies from the people in which he was teaching, as he's doing here on the Sermon on the Mount and conveying how those point to what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. That was certainly true with salt. This is a picture of the Dead Sea and some of the salt deposits that are in the Dead Sea. Maybe you've been to the Middle East, been to the Holy Land, you've seen this yourself. But salt was a very common and very important part of everyday life. For instance, salt was used for a whole number of different things, and this is maybe what Jesus was getting at. Salt was valuable in that some cultures, even today, still use salt as some form of payment. In fact, the word um, salarium is the same word where we get the word salary. If someone says to you, that person's not worth their salt, they're talking about how salt is used as some form of currency. Not only that, salt uh, was used to, to increase thirst. If you put a lot of salt on your food, you're gonna get thirstier. If you go out and drink ocean water, ironically, you'll be thirsty. Don't drink ocean water, by the way. Salt was not only used for that, salt was also used, and maybe this is what Jesus is talking about, for purity. In fact, the Old Testament priests in the Old Covenant, when they would sacrifice an animal for the Lord, they would sprinkle salt on that sacrifice as a symbolic gesture of the purity of this sacrifice. And while all those things may be true, the most natural reading, I believe, of this text is to see salt as a preserving agent. In other words, before they had what we have today, and we honestly take for granted, we have refrigerators, sometimes we have two, three refrigerators filled with food that we can keep for months and months on end, or in some of your cases, years and years on end. Back in those times, of course, the only way to preserve food from decaying was to put salt on it. So you put salt on meat, you put salt on fish, you put salt on something that you're keeping the bacteria from doing what bacteria does. I believe that's what Jesus is talking about when he says that, because things that rot stink, all right? That'll change your life. Things that rot stink. When Tarek and I first got married, we were living in Fort Worth, Texas. I was in seminary, and I drove this mid-90s fire engine red 
Jeep Cherokee. I love that car. It's great. It's the only car I ever had where I could fix it by watching YouTube. I, I loved that car. And one day I went grocery shopping for us and came back, didn't think anything of it. But the, the next couple of days, my car took on this terrible odor. It just it smelled bad. It got worse every single day. I don't know if it's because I was working out. Maybe it's me. Am I the problem? I don't know. But it kept getting worse and worse. So about a week in, it's the middle of the summer, I look underneath the seat and I saw that a pound of ground beef had fallen in there a week before. Yeah, oh, yeah, a week before. And that's what the smell was coming from. And, and you, you know that happens because if something doesn't preserve that meat, be it salt or refrigeration, it will decay and it will stink. Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. And, and in that statement, he's saying that you are sent here to prevent decay from happening in your world. Did you know that that's a good description of our world today? It's a world that's decaying and it's a world that often stinks. I think about some of the ethical challenges that we face in 2023. In some ways, this has always been the case, but in some ways we are facing things now that this church did not face in our culture in 1983 when we began. For instance, some of the just examples I thought about this week with, with just our decay in our culture are things like the, the eradication of human rights around the world particularly by dictators in a lot of third world countries that is becoming more and more prevalent. In our country, our culture, we're seeing just the, the eradication of God's design for sex and marriage. And whether it's sexual promiscuity or uh, gender dysphoria or a number of just different movements, we see that that is part of, of God's design being rotted away because of moral decay. We live in a culture of death um, who, who does not take the sanctity of life to be a sacred treasure because every single human is made in the image of God. We see either idolatry towards the environment, almost worshiping the environment, or we see complete indifference towards the environment, forgetting that we are made to be good stewards of the earth that God has given us to steward. We're seeing issues of, of artificial intelligence and where that's headed and some of the ethical challenges with that. We, we live in a world that is decaying and dying and rotting. And to some degree, that's always been the case that we have our own challenges to deal with. But whatever situation you're in, whatever age in which you have been put by God, let me remind you today, church, that you are the salt of the earth. Jesus says in this text, he says, if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. I think what Jesus is talking about, because, I mean, let's be honest, technically, if you have, you know, a, a sodium molecule, it can never cease to be sodium. So some of you read the text going, no, technically, Jesus, salt can't ever technically become tasteless. Okay, whatever, that's not his point. He's basically saying, if, if you cease to be that distinct moral preservative in a decaying world, if you stop doing that, then you are useless in the way that God designed you to be his salt. And you're good for nothing. My, my hunch is that 
the salt that you put to melt ice on the ground is not the same salt that you would put on a nice piece of steak. It's useless, it has its role to play, but I would never eat it. It just gets thrown in and people step over, big deal. You are meant to be a moral preservative of the kingdom of God and you are what? You are salt, all right? So that's the first analogy with a warning of what happens if you don't remain as salt. What's the second word picture that, that Jesus gives us? Not just you are salt, but you are what? Oh, let's all say it together. <laughs> you are light, there you go, you are light. In many respects, this is the positive side of what Jesus is saying. In verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. If we said, I am the salt of the earth, I am the light of the world. Light is a powerful force. Light enables us to see. In fact, it's fascinating to think about that there is no such thing as darkness. Darkness is not a thing. Darkness is merely the absence of light. Jesus says, in a dark world, not only a decaying world, but a dark world, you are light. God often pictures himself as light. Of course, God created light, but 1 John says that God is light. When it talks about in John, Jesus coming to the earth, John said this, that this was the light of the world that was coming into the world. And what's fascinating here is that Jesus says that we are to be light. We are to be light. I I think a lot of you work in a dark place, maybe. I, I hear from a number of people who work in the marketplace and say, things like, it is very difficult to be a believer in business today. Or you, maybe you're a college student. You say, it's very difficult to be a believer on a college campus today. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. It's very difficult because why? It's a dark place. They don't act like me. They don't talk like me. They don't react like me. We, we're different. And God says, in that place, I want you to be light And you might think, well, how can I be light? I mean, I've got my own junk to deal with. I've got my own sin to mess with. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes too. Well, the point is not that in and of yourselves you are light, but you reflect the light. Let me use an illustration that maybe you will all resonate with because we see it all the time. Think about on a beautiful starry night, you look up into the sky and you see this beautiful, radiant, beaming moon. This beautiful moon. And maybe like me, you you just stand out there for a few minutes, reflect on that, and just see how beautiful it is. Maybe you think about a scripture like Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, to see this bright, shining moon. But you know what's fascinating about that moon is that it actually has no light in and of itself. As bright as it is, no light is emanating from that moon. So now we need to go back to eighth grade science. Remember this? rudimentary picture here, but you can see it. The moon is merely reflecting the light of the sun. What you see in the moon is nothing more than reflection of the sun on the moon to the earth. Now, you see the point here. We are not the light in that we have the light in and of ourselves, but if we are living for the sun and reflecting the sun, we bring the light into dark places. And Jesus says that you are to be the light of the world. And then he uses this illustration. He says, like a city 
set on a hill. Again, 2,000 years ago, it's hard for us to think about this, but before electricity, if you're walking through the middle of a desert and you're journeying from one town to another, it would get pitch black dark unless the stars were shining in the way that the stars often shine. And you would see in the distance the city coming, and it was a city that was like a city on a hill. All the lamps and lanterns that were, that were lighting up houses, you would see in the distance. It stood out in the middle of the darkness. And Jesus says, you are to be a city set on a hill. What a wonderful picture. In a dark world, you are a city on the hill. Now, politicians use that all the time. In fact, I remember as a kid hearing uh, President Ronald Reagan would say that all the time. You know, America is a city set on a hill. And with all due respect to President Reagan, he had the people wrong, but the principle right. And by that I mean, God never promises that any nation, whether it's America or China or Indonesia, or Russia, or you name it. No, no nation in and of itself is ever called to be a city on a hill, but, but Christians within that nation, American Christians, and Chinese Christians, and, and Indonesian Christians, and Russian Christians, people who are living under the lordship of Jesus, no matter where you live, you are a city on a hill. And Jesus says that you are to be the light of the world. And then he says this, just to you know, make the point in verse 15, you wouldn't light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, 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 you put it on the lampstand so it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, when we turn on a lamp, let's be honest, how do we do it? You either walk up to the lamp, you click it on, or you use a light switch on the wall, or like in my house, it's like, hey, Alexa, turn the den on, you know, and your lights come on, whatever. We don't think about it, but back in the day, just having a lamp was a thing. Oil was expensive, you had to make sure you had it. The wicks were expensive, and then you had to find a way to get light to the wick or get fire to the wick. It's not just like, you know, your, your cousin's got like a Zippo, you know, and lights the lamp, like, it's hard to do. And imagine all the work it would take to light a lamp. Would it then make sense to light the lamp, to give light on a dark room, and then put it on the floor and cover it with a basket so that no one could see it? Of course not, that makes no sense at all. I think Jesus' point is going, hey, if, if by nature, as a follower of mine, you are the light of the world, why are you living as though you're not? A lot of you, God has strategically placed you exactly where he wants you to be for one reason. You know why that is? It is to be light. Now, in this day and age, I think because of just just a lot of craziness when it comes to uh, our culture with, with, with in the marketplace today. I, I hear a number of people who say, I'm just really struggling my job because I'm the only believer there. Your boss doesn't think like you, your team doesn't think like you, or maybe it's not your job, maybe it's hey, my kid's baseball team or you know, my neighborhood, I just it's a struggle. And I, I get the struggle because it's hard to be the only one and I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't do with your career. That's something for you to pray about, and I'd love to pray about it with you. But I can also say this. If, if you are gone from that place, then who will be the light? Maybe God has you exactly where you are right now for one reason, to be salt and to be light. And Jesus says, look, not that it's not easy and not hard, 
but, but live in such a way. In fact, look at what he says in verse 16. Your light must shine before people in a way that they may see your good works and do what? And glorify your Father who is in heaven. He's saying that you, you should do things that makes people think, why, why do you do what you do? Now, they may never come up to you and ask you that, but, but you're different. You, you don't laugh at the same stuff. You, you, you react differently. You forgive more. You're more, you're more positive. You, you pray more. You're, there's, there's just something that's different about you. And Jesus says that your good works should do something to connect the dots between the source of that love and the glory that is due the Heavenly Father. The, the word for good is this attractional word, it's this compelling word. I love what Dwight Lyman Moody said. He was a famous evangelist in the late 1800s here in America. And he attracted all kinds of crowds and countless people came to Christ under his ministry. And one time somebody asked him, Mr. Moody, what's the secret of your ministry? What, what's the thing that you think drives what you do and why all these people come to hear you. And, and he said something like this. He said, if you will set yourself on fire for the Lord, the world will come and watch you burn. I wonder what would happen if you guys would set yourself on fire, metaphorically, not literally, I'd like to make that statement. But to have a passion for the Lord such that people would think, why are you so different? And it would draw them to the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus. You are salt. You are light. That's what Jesus says we are to be as his followers. Now, if you're not his follower, you can't do those things. And if you're not his follower, we want to ask you to become his follower. To repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he forgives you, this is amazing, he forgives you through his death on the cross, that he gives you the promise of eternal life, and not just eternal life through his resurrection, but I mean abundant life right now, like a satisfying life, like all the things you are looking for are ultimately and only found in Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus, and if you're a church who claims to be filled with followers of Jesus, we have a choice. It's one thing to hear your salt and light, but you have a choice. You know what the choice is? We got a choice with two options. We can do one of two things. We can either isolate or we can integrate. Isolate or integrate. And here's what I mean. Isolate is the temptation to go, hey, the world is decaying, the world is dark. And I know that you say we're salt and light, but that's just, that's hard to do. I wanna be like around Jesus people, you know, who have their same values and we talk the same. And, 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 and while that's not a bad temptation, what happens is that the church can become kind of this little holy huddle of, of Jesus people and, and we don't interact with the world and we almost shun the world and we have nothing to do with the world, all in the name of kind of protecting one another until Christ comes back. And I don't think that's what God wants us to do. The other temptation is to integrate with the culture. Not in a way that's kind of missional, but in a way where you can't even tell the difference between Christians and non-Christians. If this is the, the cry to be relevant and, and cool and whatever it is you're longing to be, but you wanna be seen a certain way in the eyes of others and, and no one can even tell you're a Christian. I wonder if I asked your coworkers, are you a believer? I wonder what they would say. 
Do they even know? That's a real temptation. Jesus says, I don't want you to do either one of this. I don't want you to isolate. I don't want you to integrate. What does he say? Well, look at what he prays in John 17. For his own disciples, he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them away from the evil one. Hear that? Don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then listen to this. Just as you sent me into the world, Jesus says, I also sent them into the world. You are different than the world. You are sanctified in the truth of God. But don't think that means that you're somehow to not interact with the world. No, no, no. As I am sent into the world, I am sending you into the world. Which means, as wonderful it is, as it is to think about 40 years of ministry, we also can't get blindsided into thinking that we don't have work to do when it comes to our future. But I think about the, the mission of our church. You've heard it said a number of times, but the mission of our church, what, what is the mission of our church? You know it? If you're here for a week or two, you, you get off. But the rest of you, what, what's the mission of our church? Why do we exist? Do you all know? We exist to what? To help people find three things, truth, belonging, and purpose in Jesus. Some of y'all said it like you even mean it, but let's all say it together. Why do we exist as a church? We exist to help people find truth, belonging, and purpose in Jesus. See, here's the deal. The whole world is talking about those three things right now, truth, finding your truth, belonging. I can tell you a number of colleges and companies that are using belonging as a wonderful marketing tagline. And purpose, who doesn't wanna find their purpose? You go to any bookstore today, y'all remember that was like a bookstore that these things with paper in them, books. Tons of books are all about you finding purpose in life. Can I tell you something? The world is hungering for what can only be found sufficiently and fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is why we're not here just to help people find truth, belonging, and purpose. No, 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 no. We are here to help people find truth, belonging, and purpose in Jesus. In Jesus. So if we're gonna be salt and light as a church, there's a couple things that have to be so important as we head into the next stage of ministry and into our future. What are they? Well, three, I can think that all go with truth, belonging, and purpose. Number one, a next step for our church, we have to stand up for the truth of God's word. We have to stand up for the truth of God's word. And unfortunately, it seems with every passing month or year that more and more churches are caving on the authority of God's word. Now make no mistake, my Clay's interpretation of God's word is not authoritative just because Clay says it, but the word of God is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and rebuke and correction and training in righteousness. And God asks all of us to fall under the Lord's authority in his word to live out the things of Jesus in this day and age. And as you know, it's gonna get harder and harder and harder to stay faithful, but stay faithful we must, amen? Number two, as we think about the future of our church, we, we have to, to be a counter, important word, counter-cultural community of belonging. 
Again, you're hearing a lot about belonging today. And I think it's because the world is looking for unity in a way that the world is not equipped to provide unity. But we are. In fact, this, this is one of the great things about a church when a church is acting like a Jesus church. It's that you can take people that in the world don't click, don't connect, and yet somehow in Christ can come together and be together in the body of Christ. Like for instance, in a, in a church, an ideal church, you got people of different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic levels, different levels of education. And, and while in the world they don't get along at all, there's something about the body of Christ that they come together in one unified voice. Not united around the idea of unity, that's what our world's trying to do. The problem with the world is they don't have the, the, the goods to provide the unity they're looking for, but guess who does? Jesus does. And we are to be this countercultural community of belonging that's only found in the gospel. And number three, we have got to live out God's purpose. By doing what? By showing and sharing the gospel. Not only are we called to do good works so that people will glorify their Father in heaven, but we have to share the gospel, which is why we're gonna keep pushing you to share the gospel with your neighbors down the street. We're gonna keep encouraging you to live out the ways of Jesus at work. Not in a weird way. We all know the weird guy at work. And all, certainly we don't need more jerks for Jesus at work, all right? But compelling, winsome, truth-filled, faithful, Bible-oriented, great commission-driven, Jesus-loving people is what we need. Sharing and showing the gospel. We're not promised tomorrow but we need to be faithful to the things of Jesus, being salt and being light. When I came here four years ago as your pastor, um, I began to learn things about this community. And by the way, four years ago, I think with COVID, there's like dog years. I've been here for 28 years. Anyways, um, that's what it feels like. Uh, so I, I came here, I started learning history of this place. Johnson Ferry Church. What's the word Johnson Ferry? Well, Johnson Ferry obviously is built on Johnson Ferry Road. A lot of y'all use Johnson Ferry Road every single day. Thousands of people travel up and down Johnson Ferry Road. It's a major thoroughfare right through Cobb County. Tons of people use to get to their homes, get to work. It's a big deal, the road. And here's the irony about the name of this road. A name that our church is named for, by the way, is the wrong name. Did y'all know that? It's the wrong name. And before I give you the right name, let me also tell you, you know what another wrong name is? Johnson's Ferry. That, it's not called that either. Y'all are really possessive about this road. All the English majors got that. The, this, this road was named after a guy, not by the name Mr. Johnson, his name was Mr. Johnston with a T. Did you know that? Mr. Johnston. I don't know what you said, but I'm gonna, amen. Anyways. Mr. Johnston lived here, died in the late 1800s. His story is a little bit fascinating and kind of creepy. Uh, he was buried about seven or eight miles from here. Three or four days after his funeral, after his burial, they noticed that the grave pot looked like it had been disturbed with. And it was a common practice in those days that you could make money by selling cadavers to medical schools. 
So apparently Mr. Johnson had his body exhumed, dug up by a bunch of criminals, left his clothes there in the casket, that was nice of them, and they, they took his body back across the river, maybe on his own ferry, back across the river, and sold his body for $600, I mean for $100. Now they were caught and then fined for $600, so it didn't work out exactly the way they wanted, but why am I sharing this story? I'm sharing the story to say, isn't it ironic that we're so dependent upon a road that's named after a dude that didn't even exist? There's no Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson, this is us giving our credit to you. Thank you very much. Now, that's why I wanna announce today that from now on, we're gonna be Johnston Fair. I'm just kidding, no, we're not renaming the church. But I, I do think about this church and I think about all of you wonderful, faithful people and, and those who have gone before. And at the same time, with all humility, I'd like to say that one day, someone's gonna forget us. They may misremember our name. They may remember some more than others, but most of us are gonna be pretty easily forgotten in the annals of history. But the only thing that will count forever is that we help to do our little part to pave a road so that people could go from death to life. And Jesus says, you wanna make a difference with your life? Be salt and be light and watch what happens. That's my challenge to you. Be salt and be light and watch what happens. I'd love to pray over you today and just wanna encourage you that if you, uh, if you wanna talk to somebody today, we'd love to pray with you. We'll have a response team right over here to my right after the service. Uh, what a privilege it is to pray for any of the needs that you have today. If you're new today, uh, I hope this has been a good experience. Um, I know it's a special day, 40 years, but I hope this has been a wonderful time to maybe catch a glimpse of what God's doing here. We'd love to spend time with you and go to the pergola. Um, we got a bunch of cookies left, so we're gonna depend on this service to take all of them. So take all these cookies home with you uh, today, and uh, thank you so much for being here. Would you stand? I'd love to pray over you, and we'll c conclude our services with a prayer. Father God, I just pray for those here in this service right now, that Lord, we would be what you've called us to be, salt and light. God, in whatever way we can, would we prevent the moral decay of our community, our country, and the world? God, in whatever way we can, would we be light to show the light of Jesus in a dark world? Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church that's committed to these things, that we are committed to helping our neighbors and the nations find truth, belonging, and purpose that we know is only found in Jesus. So God, we're not dismissed, we are sent, we are commissioned, Lord, we are sent into our workplaces or a vacation over fall break or with our families, Lord, to, to be your salt, to be your light. God, you're faithful. Would you find us faithful? Thank you for today. Thank you for this week. Thank you for what you have done. And Lord, humbly, we thank you for what you will do. And we pray that in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. See y'all next week. Love you guys. <laughs>